Welcome back to another episode of the Record Spinner Podcast. I'm your host, Noel. And again, thank you guys for joining me today on another episode of my baby, <laughs> the Record Spinner Podcast. Now, I want to get this out of the way first. You can email me questions, concerns, comments, whatever, 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 at the Record Spinner Podcast at gmail.com. If you are listening to this podcast, do me one favor, and that is rate the podcast or subscribe to the podcast or share this podcast with somebody. Share it with your neighbor. Share it with your, your lover. Share this podcast so that you can pass on a gift, the gift that keeps on giving. My voice. No, I'm kidding. Um, I also want to give a huge thank you and post, of course, to Ruby Goldsmoke, T.L. Williams, and Danny Joe Williams. You guys were awesome. Really appreciate all of the amazing beauty that you left on my spirit on that last episode. I, I honestly feel like I kind of made a, made some friends there, uh, which is weird. Um, but, uh, but yeah, their show that night on February 28th was awesome. And I believe that you can find a link to that show where you can still purchase tickets to go and actually view it in post. I highly recommend that their, their live stuff was absolutely stunning, really good stuff. And the tickets were cheap, $10. You can, you know, pay $10, be able to, to watch, um, two awesome beans share their love of music that's it anyway this episode is going to be another question show uh, questions part two right um and, and I, I told you guys on that first question show that i'm going to be doing shows like this the this is going to be a, a theme i want i want to give actual time to to answer concerns and questions that i get over the weeks and i, I think this is this is the perfect way to do it not in a segment you know, we already got enough segments. We got two segments coming up before we get to questions today. So I don't want to create another segment and be segment heavy. But instead, every so often, just do a show where I'm answering questions. That's it. So today's show is the questions part two. And that's what we'll be doing. I have some really good questions. The first question that I got, actually, um, I'm going to answer now, was around... Um, having ruby ruby gold smoke on on the podcast and greg from dc asked the question he said first great interview with ruby gold smoke and, and i appreciate you greg thank you very much man and he says any plans to interview interview any dc artist and i mean my answer to that is of course of course man greg uh, this show thrives on three pillars that's black vinyl music right there's a fourth more hidden pillar that this show stands on and that's the fact that i'm in dc right the fact that i'm from this city and represent this city i want to of course include all aspects of the city's music culture but of course having it based around vinyl in some way shape or form that makes me think of the fact that this episode episode 25 was supposed to be me and charvis from hr records sitting down talking Charvis uh, had a scheduling conflict with uh, the podcast that he actually produces, um, I think, out in his in his shop, which is uh, the Collector's Corner. And I, I was on that show. 
So, yes, I, I definitely want to make sure that I'm working with DC people in all capacities. Uh, there's a group. I actually came across this record of one, in one of my last digs, but there is a, a black jazz label that was founded in Richmond, Virginia called Black Fire. And, and, and the song and the music that they produced were absolutely fire. And um, this record label has ties to D.C. Jimmy Gray um, was one of the founders of the record label, and he, he is apparently from D.C. So I read this interesting article on, uh, on the New York Times recently, and it highlighted, you know, the, the legacy of, of Black Fire and what it stood for in this time. And, of course, it was written in 2020, I think, over the summer. So, you know, it had to had to touch around Black Lives Matter in some way, shape or form. These guys, Jimmy Gray has a son and his son has a group here in D.C., Nag Champa um, Art Ensemble. I want to, uh, of course, I want to interview them. That's a perfect group right there to interview. I've talked about interviewing Sharvis, and that's going to happen maybe next week. I'm thinking that might happen. Um, I want to highlight a lot of other black Washingtonians and, and their digging or record collections and their music knowledge and their music art or their art that, that they actually create. Of course, I'm going to highlight that stuff, man. That that would be silly of me not to. So, so yeah, to answer your question, Greg, of course, I will shortly, I will hopefully soon have some of my Washingtonians on the show. So there's a lot of stuff going on on the back end of, of shows like this. And I can't really can't really give all the details on how this stuff works. But there's it's just a lot of uh, I would I, I like to call it paperwork, but it's like it's just emails and schedules and stuff like that, stuff that I'm not really good at. So, you know, I'm trying to trying to get my schedule around working a full time job and then podcasting on the weekend. So, of course, you know, like that leaves a, a big gap for me following up with people and, and getting in tune with people's schedules and all that stuff. So I do apologize that if anyone feels any type of way about me having my first guest, um, my first musical guest be from Chicago as opposed to be being from D.C., I apologize to you. But this is, yes, a D.C. podcast for sure. There's no doubts about that. Don't doubt that ever <laughs> anyway um i'm not going to get into the rest of the questions right now i'm going to kind of turn turn things over switch topics switch gears whatever um and i'm going to talk about the vinyl recommendation of the week now the vinyl recommendation of the week comes every week i try to part whatever it is i'm listening to to you guys to go grab on vinyl and put it on a turntable and tell me of course how you like it and how you how it lived up to uh, to your expectations after I recommended it. Today's recommendation is Lee Morgan's The Raja. Now this is a record that I talked about um, a few weeks ago when I first copped it. I talked about this record and uh, I mentioned it just in passing, but after putting it, putting it on the turntable, honestly, it is my new favorite Blue Note record of all time. Yes crazy um the raja is a tone poet uh, one of the tone poet series of uh from from blue note and the tone poet series is just a series of reissues 
Um, some are really big. Some are really big records. Uh, some are kind of more cult classic records on the Blue Note label. All of them that I've copped or purchased have been amazing. Uh, but I think this record right here has been my favorite to play since I've bought it. I have a Donald Byrd's Chant, which is a tone poet. I have um, Bobby Hutcherson tone poet. I have um, I have quite a few tone poet uh, series reissues, and uh, uh, McCoy Tyner uh, Tender Moments. I believe I have that on from the tone poet series as well. And all of these records, like I say, are awesome. The sound quality is super amazing. Um, I don't know what they're doing over there with the tone poet series, but keep doing it. Uh, but this record right here, this pressing this issue right here from from Lee Morgan is like like I said, stunning, just beautiful, beautiful music. Now, a little bit about the Raja. It was recorded in 1966, but it wasn't released until 1985. And this is after, of course, Lee Morgan's death. My favorite track on this record is A Pilgrim's Funny Farm, which was composed originally by Cal Massey, a composer and trumpeter out of Philly. And we'll talk more about Cal Massey as I'm actually finding out a lot of cool stuff about Mr. Massey. So that's my record recommendation of the week. And uh, again, go cop it. Tell me what you think about it. Tell me if you like it. If uh, if you don't like it, um, I'm sure you will not like it if you like music. But, you know, whatever. Tell me tell me what you think about it anyway. Moving right along, I am going to, of course, have a getting technical fact of the week as well. Um, this week, I have a little bit of a different setup. It's going to be a soundbite that I'm going to play here shortly. And it's around uh, the colored vinyl. Um, colored vinyl is something I didn't know a lot about. And, and this clip actually kind of answered some of the uh, a real pressing question for me because I had always thought that colored vinyl was like a relatively new thing. I thought it was kind of maybe a thing that was dreamed up in like the 80s or maybe the 90s even. But no, colored vinyl has been around for a really long time. And so this soundbite, this clip that I'm playing here, I forgot where I pulled it from, but I will link it in the description. Check out or just listen to kind of the history of the, the colored vinyl. And and yeah, I, I think this is a great fact to know because again, I didn't know it before gonna play this real quick and then i'll be right back for example there's colored vinyl colored vinyl has been around since the early 1900s when 45s were launched rca made a different color record for each genre when making black records the factory adds black carbon which strengthens the vinyl to make colored vinyl dyes are added instead colored vinyl used to get a bad rap for sound quality but the quality has come a long way over the course of the years and today the sound difference is negligible Another vinyl variation is the picture disc. These discs show pictures in the grooved area. The picture disc goes all the way back to the early 1900s where small discs were glued to postcards. Today, picture discs are created by placing a label on top of the vinyl case and then adding it. Damn, that music sucked. <laughs> that music is really hard to listen to. Jeez. Um yeah, but that was some good information. I didn't know that about the picture disc, the picture disc either. Um, yeah, so I, I think that was really cool. Um, I'll have I I kind of may do that every now and again if it's something that I I don't really know about a lot, um, and don't kind of you know I don't want to 
give you a boring history about, oh, yeah, this is where it comes from. I may have someone else give you a boring history about where it comes from <laughs> and kind of cut back to me. So uh, I think that might be a, it may be a good change of pace for some, you know, and uh, and uh, I hope you took something from it, you know. So whatever. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break really quick. It's going to be like really quick. Once I return, we'll get into some questions that were submitted by some listeners. So enjoy the music. Enjoy the break. I'll be right back. Alrighty, thank you for sticking with us here on this episode of the Record Spinner Podcast. Episode 25 was supposed to be such a big deal. I was supposed to have Charvis in to talk about record stuff and his um, what he's seeing as a record store owner. Um, that episode will, like I said, it will it will come eventually. Uh, we just got to get our schedules linked up, and um, and yeah. And so I'm excited about that. Maybe that'll be like a good episode number 30 or episode number 27, something like significant, right? I want it to be like an important episode. Anyway, so into the questions we go. Um, the questions around this episode are from episodes prior. So I haven't done this since I think like episode 18 was like the questions or something like that. So I've had questions kind of pile up, so I just took some of the more recent questions um, that I've been asked, and we're going to run with it, and I'll try to answer answer these questions as best as possible. So first, Joe from New York asked, what are your thoughts around this generation of collectors and how the internet has made it way easier to find the good stuff? It's a good question, Joe. And I take it from based off of your question, you're you're an older guy, an elder in our community. And I thank you for being a part of our community. Um, I do want to say, first and foremost, that that, yes, the Internet has made digging a lot easier. One of the ways I'm thinking about right off the top of my head is this. Used, I used to do this all the time back in 2011 when I used to dig in Atlanta and even sometimes when I when I would dig in, in D.C., when I first moved to D.C. in the area around 2014. But 
you go into a record store, you see a record that you've never seen before and an artist that you've never heard of before. And the first thing you do as a millennial digger is you whip out your phone. Like I said, I've done it before. You whip out your phone, you type in the artist, you got your headphones in already. So there's no need to even like, you know, like even make a even adjust a muscle in it even. You're going to go right to the phone. You're going to type in that artist. You're going to listen to a, a YouTube sound clip or a YouTube track. And you're going to figure out if you like that artist or not enough to buy the record. This happens. A lot of us don't like to admit that we do this, but it happens. This is a big difference from the way that our, our forefathers in, in the record collecting world did things. This is why one of the big reasons why the listening station is such an important place in a record store. The listening station back in the 60s and 70s, 80s, I would even say in the 90s too, this was the place where if you didn't know of an artist or didn't know of a record, this is the only sample you're going to get. This is the only thing you're going to know about this artist if you don't already know something about that artist. And so, yes, the Internet has made us essentially a little lazier and a little smarter, I guess, with with the advent of, of course, you know, things like YouTube and, and of course, Spotify and other apps that allow you to play songs right from your phone. So, yes, when you go into a record store, sometimes you can get a little lazier with this now. Yes, there are, there are challenges to this too, though. So with the internet, with this this tool that literally we can time travel from our couch without leaving our couch, we can go to any decade that predates our own and, and know something about the people who live there and the art that was made, right? This, this creates a new challenge for, for listeners or for crate diggers and for collectors currently and that challenge is knowing which sounds superficial right but for a lot of people that not knowing kind of creates this thing where you're always you're always seeking as opposed to just living and happening by and stumbling upon artists and genres and music that is supposed to it's supposed to fit that time so so, so almost think about it as like breaking or bending like a like destiny in a weird way because there are a lot of records that I wasn't ready for at a certain time. Had you played Love Supreme for me when I was in, in, in middle school, I would have looked at you and been like, why the fuck are you playing Love Supreme? What, what is this, first of all, and why are you playing it? I wouldn't, have, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even cared about the title at all. So, yes, I think we're supposed to stumble upon the things that are essentially going to shape our life when we are supposed to, when we're supposed to stumble on them. I think that's kind of like divine inter intervention when it comes to the, the music that is our soundtrack to our life, the movies that shape us, all that stuff. That stuff hit, it hit, it hits us when we are supposed to find it. And so the challenge now is with all of the information, with all of this stuff that bombards us all the time, having a real understanding of what you're supposed to be into kind of gets lost because you're chasing a lot of different stuff. And collectors can tell you, I can tell you that this has happened to me in, in previous in previous years. Like you're you're in your little bag, your little community, your little area of interest. But it's, it's just so tempting. Everything that's going on all over the place. You know, new Led Zeppelin reissues and 
and and Pink Floyd reissues and all this stuff. Like, so it, it makes us more scatterbrained and less into, I think, uh, you know, I, I did this topic about deep listening, but the the intentional, the purposeful digging for what we like. Sometimes we, we and I, like I said, I've done this before. You find you find a record that you you may want to get into, you may want to figure out a little bit about, may want to listen to it, but instead you're hesitant. And if you listen to if you listen to that sample or you listen to that record on on YouTube, you you know you punch it into YouTube and you listen to it before you decide if you're gonna buy it, and something sounds off or you, it doesn't sound like how you want music to sound at at the place that you're at currently, you may miss out. So. That that's kind of like the only downside, I guess, um, with the technology. But that's a huge challenge for us now. It's like making sure you're intentional about the records that you that you are collecting, um, making sure that you're staying true to yourself, of course, and and your area of interest. Um, which, of course, you can have an area of interest that spans all of vinyl. You can I, I know many people in the vinyl community like this, where they they fuck with a little bit of everything, and that's awesome. I, I like to think mine is more black music, more f more jazz, soul, and and uh, hip hop oriented. But yeah, I mean, I I dabble in a little bit of everything also. But it does make it hard to really find your find your footing with all the information that you have at your fingertips, though. So, yeah, I get your question, Joe, and it's a really good question. Thank you for your question. Feel free to always come back and ask more questions. I really like questions like that. Um, and yeah, um, thank you for tuning in to the Record Spinner podcast. Savannah from North Carolina. She asked if uh, if I can explain. Can you explain a bit more about using sample samples in a way that shows integrity? I totally agree and hear what you're saying i think this is in reference to that um that little remark that i made about um weldon irvine a few shows back um where i talked about you know keeping the integrity in the sample and i mentioned some names of course like madlib or jay dilla and stuff like that so she goes on to say but exactly how does madlib use a sample in a way that makes you want to learn more versus any other contemporary artist who uses a sam who uses sampling. I understand what you're saying, but how does it sound slash play out in reality? It's a really good question, Savannah from North Carolina. Um, so it's a loaded one too, though. Um, it's it's really. For me, I'm, I'm speaking as a fan of the art, right? For me, the integrity is intact a few different ways. So you'll hear samples all over the place. You hear samples all the time in all types of music. But I think what Madlib does, I think what real producers do, Pete Rock and, and a few others, I'm not going to name everybody who I named before, but there are a lot of producers who do this really cool thing where they kind of do a beat tape. And the beat tape or the beat mix will essentially highlight a lot of the, the samples that they use throughout their work. This is, I think, a really essential part of keeping the integrity. They're not 
listing out the artist's name and, and giving them the credit or anything like that. So, yes, it can lack a little bit of actual integrity when you think about it. But what they're doing is, I think, with releasing the beat tape, with, with, with releasing the mix, what you're doing is you're sparking a curiosity. Okay, I hear this sound now. I kind of I'm, I'm able to kind of zero in on what era, what genre it's from. So now I have some homework to do. Now I'm going to go look at some. And this is how I do with Mad Lib all the time. Records like Flight to Brazil and Advanced Jazz, those records literally put me onto some of my favorite jazz records. And and I mean, I'm not even ashamed to admit that. I mean, because, yeah, I, I, I don't know all of jazz because of Mad Lib, but it's definitely helped my palate increase by being able to uh, to dig around for stuff that he's he's played with. And no, it's not as simple as Googling um, who sampled. Yeah, that's a really e going into Joe's question, right? That's a really easy way to do it. I would hate doing things that way. That's not a challenge at all to me. I mean, it's good to do. It's good that we have that resource, right? But the challenge actually comes at the at the sampling table, at the list, at the DJ table, at that table in the back of all the record stores. Well, you're pulling out this record that you don't know much about but it sounds good, it has a good title, or it has really good album artwork, or you've heard this artist, you've heard people mention this artist before, or something like that. This sparks the curiosity. You go put it on the, on the turntable, you put the needle down on the record, and voila, you hear something that you've heard on a mix before. And it's like, yo, I got it. This happens all the time, and it's the fucking best feeling in the world, let me tell you that. It is the best feeling in the world. Sex ain't got shit on when you drop the needle on something you just picked up out of a crate and it has a song on it that you've heard from a producer that you like it's the best feeling ever because you didn't need the who sampled you didn't need the internet it's old school straight old school and i do that a lot so that's what i mean by keeping the integrity it's there's some education that's going on with all of our entertainment and art and the sooner we realize that, I think the sooner we'll get serious about that. Because every time you're listening to something or, or watching something, you're being enrolled in that in that thing. That's important to, to keep in mind. You're being enrolled in something every time you listen to a song, every time you watch a TV show. You're now being edutained or... Yeah, it's, I think it's edutainment. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, you keep that in mind. And I think that does spark that curiosity. So every time you do listen to something, you'll ask the questions of where does this come from? And if it is original, if it is an original 808, whatever, cool, 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 great. This is dope. How did you create it? There's always questions behind this stuff. It should be. Anyway, thank you for the questions submitted. I think that they were great questions i really appreciate everyone's questions if you want to if you want me to answer any questions of yours please feel free to submit those questions to the record spinner podcast at gmail.com you could also follow me on ig and twitter at rebirth of the cool and of course the website therecordspinner.com take care guys i'll see you guys next week peace